clinical disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome to the University of Pleasure, where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation. I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. And I'm Jeremiah James, just a guy who likes talking about sex. Good to be back with you. Yeah, good to see you. Doc, doc, good old doc, friend of mine, doc. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Listen. Every once in a while, you know, it just shows the level of talent that you're dealing with. And I could put together like a little bit of rhyme right there for you. Rhyming Doc with Doc? Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, folks, to the University of Pleasure. Hope you are all safe and healthy and trying to find some joy in these crazy times because it is extremely important to find joy even in the most difficult of times. But we are grateful for all those that are out there helping us stay safe and healthy. So thank you to all of you and all of you listeners who are back with us listening to the University of Pleasure to help find a little joy. So, And a little pleasure. And a little pleasure in our lives. Thank you, Doc. You're welcome. So, today's topic... I think everybody's ready for it. Are you ready for it, Doc? I get a little nervous about this topic. Do you? Yeah. The doc. People, people sometimes always, don't always love what I, what I have to say about this one. Oh. Yeah. Well, now I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I felt real good about it at first. <laughs> She's going to say things. I'm going to be like, oh, is she saying that directly to me? My gosh. Okay. No, more that it's, it's, it's complicated and sometimes... What I have to say about this topic sometimes makes people feel a little, you know, uncomfortable because it can trigger some of their own fears. So. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get the nerves out there for all to hear, Doc. Hide and seek. The complex game of privacy versus secrecy in relationships. Why are you nervous, Doc? Why do you look uncomfortable via this webcam? (laughs) I wouldn't say nervous as much as like, this is a difficult topic to talk about with people because people have really strong value systems around this. People tend to have a really strong sense of like what someone should and should not um, have to share in a relationship and maybe sometimes what they are, are, are not entitled to in terms of information from their partner. Give us some examples. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess just to sort of introduce the topic, right? Like, I think there's always this, like a lot of gray space and a lot of ambiguity when you say what is secrecy versus privacy, right? Because in relationships, you know, um, people can kind of move through relationships and feel like, oh, of course, like there should be complete and total transparency, right? Like I should know everything about their my partner and they should know everything about me. But then some people approach relationships a little differently where they're like, yeah, there's certain things that I'm willing to share and then certain stuff that feels like 
um, is just for me. Right. And I get to have privacy around that. Like France, for example, somebody, people might say like certain type of sexual fantasies I might have, right. Or certain types of sexual thoughts or, um, you know, masturbatory habits or just certain things. And again, um, there really isn't a right or a wrong answer, but people tend to have really strong, not everybody, but some people have some really strong positions around, around those things. And, you know, if you've got two people in a relationship that actually have very different definitions of what secrecy and privacy is, it can create a lot of conflict. Okay. So are we talking about things like, uh, let me throw it out there, like, uh, as trivial, and I don't say trivial, that's probably the wrong word. I probably shouldn't use that word, but things that I would seem to be like, uh, not a big deal, like masturbation, like I would have to be secretive about when I masturbate without my partner, right? Are we talking about things like that? Yeah, but masturbation would be a great example, right? Like somebody. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you, Jeremiah. Like masturbation would be a great example, right? Where somebody, one person might masturbate on their own in their private time and feel like, yeah, that's private, right? And then their partner might find out that they were masturbating and be like, well, why didn't you tell me? And feel like they're keeping a secret. And the other person's like, I don't know, because I didn't feel like I had to tell you. That was my time, right? Like right, that right, was something right. that I was doing on my time. It didn't, it wasn't me betraying you that was just me masturbating right that's an actual conflict that's come up before in my office not once not twice but many times okay um and so that actually is a very good example but i think that there's lots of different stuff and you know even if you put it in less the sexual realm and more overall kind of romantic relational realm you could talk about like what is a partner entitled uh cell phones come up all the time oh yeah cell good phones. one okay now we're talking let's get to the nitty-gritty right. And by nitty gritty, I mean, like, say you're watching porno, right? And your partner, you know, you enjoy watching porno by yourself and you enjoy, you know, the master, you know, masturbating and, and, and going through your day. And that somehow your, for instance, partner feels entitled or, or believes that they can just, should they be allowed to go look at your searches and what that means? And what if that makes me uncomfortable? Right. And they might think that that's totally OK, that I, they can just go back and see that I'm watching menage a trois videos or they want to check on what I'm doing, like picking up the phone. Like, what's he looking at when he's, you know, on his browser like that might be something. Am I am I anywhere close? You are. You are close. Right. And and so the, the conflict well, I'm would close, be, but clearly, I'm no, no, I think you're you're there. Right? Right. You're there. Right. Or at the very right. least, you're circling around it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're close enough. Hey, <laughs> thanks, Doc. You're welcome. So condescending I am. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that like, so in that dynamic, right, it would be like this kind of conflict around like, let's say you wanted to keep your like, let's say your partner was like, hey, I want to see your porn history. And you were like, I don't feel comfortable sharing that. That feels like something that's private to me. And then they're viewing it as like, well, you're keeping secrets. Right. Exactly. And that's the you don't want me to know this. So you're keeping things from me. Right. And that is the conflict. And it's a really common conflict. Right. We could talk about it with cell phones or pornography. And there's like a hundred different examples that can come up. And a lot of times there can be just very different value systems and relationships around like what information do I owe my partner and what information is owed to me. Right. And it's very convenient if two people have the exact same definitions of that, right? Like, right. here's my well, definition brilliant, of brilliant. Right? Because uh, unless it's like a fun, happy secret, a lot of people would probably agree that you don't want to be keeping secrets from your partners. But a lot of, but when you start to talk about privacy, 
the waters start to get a lot murkier, right? Like what is privacy and what are people entitled to in terms of privacy in a committed relationship? Because culturally we kind of set a lot of expectations around like, you know, you'll hear a lot of times people talk about this idea of one, right? Like it's used in marriage vows often, you know, and sometimes that maybe comes from a more religious context, but sometimes not right. Where people talk about like, and then, I mean, the Spice Girls wrote a song, When Two Become One, right? There it is. <laughs> Spice Girls reference. Totally Incidentally, if myself. any Spice Girls would like to come on the University of Pleasure, uh, <laughs> please contact us at Contact the University of Pleasure. Shameless yeah. promoter. <laughs> well, I want to meet a Spice Girl. <laughs> I know you do. Don't we all? Um, but, you know, this idea of one, meaning that like, okay, we were two individual people. Now we're one, which means what yours is mine and what mine, what's mine is yours. But often it is not even remotely as simple as that. And sometimes if someone feels like they need more privacy than their partner is willing to give them or their partner's viewing their desire for privacy as them keeping secrets, not only that it can create a lot of not just conflict, but resentment and, um, you know, also cause people to start feeling kind of suffocated in relationships, like oh, they yeah. don't get to have an individual identity. And so it, that's well, what makes it, me nervous about this topic. Is well, because I'm gonna tell you right now, I, I know, I understand that makes you nervous and, and I can understand why, because I'm sure I'm, I have a feeling as to where you're gonna go. And then it's not just because, you know, I've read any of the notes, but it's just because <laughs> I have a very strong feeling about the direction you're gonna go with this. But I had a partner who I talked about in past episodes, you know, where I was caught masturbating and all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. and she had a tendency to, to check my phone and look over my stuff. And it felt horribly suffocating because it was like, well, you know, there was no boundary. And it was also in the way that it was done. It was very much like, you know, who is that? And then, you know, she'd flip up my phone or like talk to because this was back in the flip phone days, by the way. <laughs> I'm still young, though. I'm still young. Anyway, the point is that it was very I felt it was invading my privacy because it was the sensibility of what, what, who does it matter what I'm talking to? I wasn't doing anything wrong and you shouldn't need to know exactly the conversation I was having with my buddy about, you know, going to have a beer. And and I, I could see why this is a difficult topic to talk about. Thank you for letting me talk about it. Continue. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of what when I say nervous, I just mean that like there is often no way to talk about this without somebody getting uncomfortable. Right. Because a lot of because there isn't like a right or a wrong answer. It's really case dependent, Agreed. right? Agreed. Um, but I certainly have some clinical biases and opinions, right? I have some opinions about maybe um, what I think are important topics to talk about as partners. Um, and sometimes those things aren't always popular. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I can upset some people because it's maybe not in the direction that they want it to go. I understand. Um, so that being said, <laughs> let's launch I into probably, it. Let's launch into it. My bias, and you know, it is based on training and research and you know, a lot of other things that support it in terms of relational quality. But my bias is that boundaries in relationships are important, right? I think it's important to have boundaries. And when you start talking about privacy, that's really what you're talking about, right? Like it's important that people have a sense that they can still be an individual even within a couple. Right. Because when people start losing a sense of individual identity within couples, a lot of times that actually can deteriorate relational satisfaction. Right. Like so let's take it out of a sexual context and just say, let's say someone gets a, a partner 
And then in the course of developing that partnership, because of maybe their partner's expectations, they lose all their friends, right? Yeah. And they don't have any friends yeah. anymore because totally. their partner their partner is sort of maybe operating from a one model, right? Like we are one, so we should be together all the time and we should do everything all the time, right? Yep, yep. That's a, now, I ran into with that same partner. I ran into it. Right. And people be like, what do you, why why can't we just hang out? And I was like, well, where are you at, bro? <laughs> yeah, where are you at, dude? Like you gonna come out, bro, and have a beer? And I'm like, uh, you well, know, I can't because my partner, you know, she can't. She's she's working. Well, yeah, but she doesn't have to come. I didn't. I, didn't, <laughs> so I, right. I feel you. So continue. Right. So like, and somebody now no longer is engaging with their friends in the way that they want to be. And in the beginning, that might um, be sustainable, like for a bit, because someone's really excited about this new partner and they're willing to sacrifice things to be with them because they're in. You know, we talked about in the previous episode. They're kind of in mating brain and they're, you know, right. really highly motivated to keep this relationship. But now all of a sudden, this re- relationship starts to progress years out, and this person is maybe starting to lose bits and pieces of an individual identity, things that feel important to who they are, right? Things that were important to who they were when they first got in the relationship. Frankly, part of the things that made their partner love them in the first place. Absolutely. Right? And this stuff comes up a lot, not just in sex, but this idea of individual identity uh, in relationships and, you know, how much sort of right does a person have to that? And I'm going to argue... I think a fair amount. And the reason that I argue that is because it tends to enhance relational satisfaction. If you have two happy people, you tend to have a happier relationship. Agreed. Right. And if you, and I know that that's a little overly simplistic, but it's this idea that the more individually satisfied a person is, the better partner that they can often be to you. I don't think it's overly simplistic. I think that it's perfectly simplistic because it is. It it really is that, you know, we like you boil things down. But listen, I understand that you're a doc and it's not always just that simple. But someone like me who is simple is very happy to hear the simplistic version of it because it, it, it does resonate. Because it's like, yes, if you're happier because you're spending time with your friend and I'm happier spending time with my friend and then we're both happier when we come together, it should be really even more happiness. So it's like happiness, yeah. happiness, joy, joy. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like to me, that I'm like, maybe oh. it's the part that's overly simplistic. But like, yeah, this, yeah. This would be the moment where I'd be like, "Wow, thanks, man. I learned everything I need to know, Doc." Yeah, like just a very convenient ending and yeah. scene. We have figured life out. No, it's obviously much more complicated than that. Of but course, it is. Of course, that it part is. is, I think, a relatively simple idea. And I think sometimes, for whatever reason, maybe in our own insecurities or the models of relationships that have been built for us we sort of feel like there's this right way to be in a relationship. And that means that we should just kind of like be on top of each other all the time, right? And that if you don't know every single thing that your partner is up to, or if they have independence outside of you, that somehow that means that there's something wrong with the relationship. And I, and frankly, research would suggest not really, right? I usually and typically with people emphasize, no matter what it is, the idea of quality over quantity, because it tends to increase satisfaction. If you and your partner are hanging out every single day together and you're always together, you're going on Home Depot runs together and Bed Bath & Beyond and all yes, of these yes, things. Yes, all the joys. Right. But you're both miserable the whole time you're doing it because you feel suffocated. Well, that's a quality issue, right? And maybe you hang out 25% less, but you're having way more fun when you're doing it because you're getting breaks from each other and you're having a life and an identity that exists outside of each other. And when you start to apply this to sex, right? We've talked before 
in episodes about the idea of individual sexuality versus dyadic sexuality, right? Dyad meaning two, right? Individual sexuality is like when you met a person, they had a sense of sexuality, right? And just because they got into a partnership doesn't mean that that magically went away, right? They might have different fantasies, interests, urges, things in their sexuality that have nothing to do with you. But from time to time, they like to engage in. And frankly, engaging in those things can often increase sexual satisfaction with their partner. But where these things become tricky is when someone is saying like, I don't feel like you have a right to that because it feels threatening to me or it feels like we're supposed to know every single thing about each other. Because a lot of times what brings quality to that individual stuff is a sense of privacy, boundaries, right? Sure. Um, and I often talk to couples about, you know, trust is something that um, is developed in the absence of information, not when it's in front of you. Oh, yes. Right? It, it, it's developed in that space of not knowing. That's what trust is, right? If something's sitting right in front of you and your person, like let's say your partner's like always with you all the time, all, you're not developing trust, right? You're just literally getting all the information every time and knowing what's going on. Trust means is that you don't know, right? And if you don't ever practice boundaries with somebody and you don't ever give people the freedom to have some privacy in their lives, then that it's really hard to develop that trust, right? Because it's the taking away of the information that forces it to exist. Agreed. That no, that sense. totally makes sense. Are you kidding me? Because it's so true. And when we're thinking about it, like it's like you, it all made sense. I don't need to recap it in any kind of simplistic way because it totally makes sense. Please continue. Right. Well, and I think so. I have a, a good example of this, right? Like it, and it's really interesting when I see people have really strong value systems around this. Once upon a time, this was many years ago. I think it was like. Frankly, I think it was like around the time when like Facebook first came out um, and I was I was finishing up. I'd finished my master's degree and was starting to work on my doctorate. And I was doing some counseling at the time and starting to work with couples. And anyway, um, there was a friend of mine that I had um, known for a while. And he had, you know, we were more kind of um, tertiary friends, not important to the story. Anyway, he wrote <laughs> um, none of that was important, but he wrote um, something on a Facebook feed around he was married, um, heterosexual, and he was married. And he was like, so he was like posing a question to the public. So my wife picked up my phone the other day and was looking through my texts. And I told her that I wasn't okay with that. And we got in a big fight because she said that she felt like she was entitled to that as my wife and felt like if I didn't want to show it to her, I must be keeping secrets, right? Something of that. I think it was much more fluid than that, but something to that capacity. Sure. Right? Makes, makes perfect sense. Right. And he was like, thoughts? <laughs> oh, yo. Ooh. Right. Well, I'm and hoping so, that she hadn't quite done a Facebook account at that point. But, but continue. no, but 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 she she was the first commenter. It oh, was great. Dear. <laughs> and they, but, you know, frankly, it wasn't they were a pretty strong couple. But she was like, yes, here is my thought. Right. And she posed her argument. Right. And it was very interesting because a lot of other people started giving him feedback around. Right. Like, well, I think this is OK. Blank. Well, I don't think this is okay. And here's why. Well, I do. Well, here's what you should do. And I try really hard on like, I don't really spend a lot of time on social media for a variety of reasons, but I try really hard not to engage in those type of things and be like, well, actually as a counselor, like, yeah, right. it, just, it just annoys people and they don't like you for it. But on this one, I was like, ah, screw it. Right. 
So on the post, what I wrote to him was, you know, I find it interesting because I'm looking through the comments and a lot of people are giving you advice about what is wrong and right, but they're giving you advice about what's wrong and right from the context of their own relationships. their own relationships and their own belief systems. Right. And their own values and what feels right or wrong to them. And what I would recommend is that you and your wife individually talk about what feels right and wrong to you. And to negotiate from there, because in the rea- in reality, it's about what boundaries do you want to have in your relationship and other people can have different ones in theirs. And it's probably better to create your own model than to have someone else create one for you because they think it's how it's supposed to be versus what feels right for you. Anyway, the, the gentleman did right. The gentleman did right. End of thread. That was perfect. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very I'm much. So- thank you. Thank you very much. But and I think I was happy that that's the way it went, because oftentimes when you comment online, that is not the way that not so much <laughs> you do not feel so successful. But I think that that would be more of the framework that I stand from. Right. I don't think that there's a right and a wrong answer to what is privacy versus secrecy. But I do think that boundaries and relationships are important. And I think it's an important conversation to have as a couple. What does privacy mean to you? And What does privacy mean to me? And how do we feel about that? Are we on the same page with that? Because if I'm viewing something as a secret that you're viewing as private, we're going to have a lot of conflict. So let's start talking about that and start to negotiate how we can both feel safe and secure while also having a sense of boundaries and trust in the relationship. Because at the end of the day, I think that this topic has a lot to do with the idea of trust. And how do you build trust in a relationship? And so if you're not having these conversations or addressing these issues, trust can start to become a bigger problem and, for and, and one and or really, both parties. And as you always say, these are not easy conversations to have. No. We're not insinuating that they're easy conversations to have. But if you really do sit down, like the, the person that I was referencing from a past relationship, it really bothered me because I, there was nothing to hide and it felt like, uh, for me, an accusation as to that there might be something to hide, that she could just grab my phone or look at my porn search or, you know, that it was like digging to find out that I was really guilty about something. And I, it really bothered me because, you know, then you don't really trust me. You don't, you don't trust me at all, right? And, and that was something that was difficult for me in that relationship and in the, also the aspects of, you know, you can't go visit your friends unless I'm there kind of a thing that also developed from that. You know, and I understand wanting to spend time and be one and all of those things, which is really great and, and, and fabulous if it works for you. But, you know, I really felt uh, very um, isolated and I felt attacked all the time. And, you know, now uh, I'm in a, a different type of relationship where, you know, my partner is always, I mean, those things don't happen. And and we have we've built those um, barriers of, you know, we trust each other. And that trust is done in those blank spots, as you were saying, you know, it's done in yeah. these moments where, you know, how was your day? The moments of the moments of not knowing. That's right. Right. That's how? that's where it's developed. Yeah. And I also think it can be just a really defeating experience to feel like a partner doesn't trust you. Right. right? Especially no, horribly for are... me. I can only say for me, Doc, it was horribly defeating. It was horribly upsetting and it was it was very um, frustrating and really made me angry because, you know, uh, so I can I could see where 
uh, people would struggle with this and why it would be right. such a difficult conversation right. to have. And, and I, I've also had some people in my office say, well, what's the point of behaving in a trustworthy way if I don't get that trust, right? Right. So what's the point of me behaving in a way that's trustworthy? Which I can honestly just... also say I started to feel like where, you know, I would have the opportunity with another woman. Now, I never took it. But that would did come up in my brain. Like, well, listen, I'm being accused of this so much. <laughs> I'm being yeah. accused of being dishonest all the time. You know, I'm getting in trouble so much. Maybe I should have something to get in trouble for kind of a yeah. thing, you know. <laughs> well, and before we move on from this topic, just because I know we're about out of time on this one here, but I, I do want to just really, because the only, the two examples we used were like heterosexual examples and they were from like a female perspective of being uncomfortable with something. But I don't want to like feed that trope that this is just a struggle that like women have, that women not trusting their partners with porn or masturbation. I have seen this absolutely across genders, across oh, sexual God. orientations. Of course. Of this course. is, I just want to be really thoughtful about that. Absolutely. Because I'm glad you said trope. that. Because it is yeah, so true because men can do the same thing in reverse and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're a gay couple or a straight couple, man to woman, woman to man. It, doesn't, it does not matter. This is something I would believe is a universal issue. I have male friends that are very untrustworthy of their, of their female counterparts and I have gay male friends that are untrustworthy of their – they don't trust their partners and, there's, and they're trying to find the dynamic that works for them. One person is a little bit more – overly untrustworthy or, or, or checks things and their, the boundaries and all the things that we've been talking about. So it is across the board. Yeah. And so anyway, I just wanted to say that, right, because I don't want to feed misperception in that way by kind of only using those two examples. But, you know, in general, this stuff, this is hard, right? And these are important things to talk about. I mean, obviously, I'm acknowledging that I'm more biased in the idea of like, I think that it's good for relationships Oh my. <laughs> Shit. Um, I think that it's good in relationships for people to have an individual sense of identity, to feel like they can have some privacy. Um, but I still think that that's worth negotiating what that means with your partner. So you're both on the same page about that and nobody's being, being put in either direction in a situation that feels highly uncomfortable for them. Right. Cause I think we always talk about like negotiation is if you both feel like you kind of lost a little bit, then that's, then, you know, you've had a good negotiation. Agreed. Right? If, if neither partner walks away completely and totally satisfied, then what a great compromise that you've created. <laughs> but I mean, just to, to say out loud again, like this is a complex issue, right? Like it is very couple case dependent, right? I'd also say that if you're an individual that feels a lot of fear about your partner having a life outside of you, like I think that that's something to look at and to think about and to ask yourself the question of like, what's going on for me, right? That especially in the face of having no reason to feel that way, right? Like let's say you have a partner that like for the most part has behaved for all intents and purposes in pretty trustworthy manners and you're still feeling really fearful about that all the time. Like I think it's also good to do some personal reflection on maybe why that might be going on and obviously as always if necessary get some additional help around that if you're really struggling. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, doc. You are welcome. <laughs> you are welcome. We're going to be right back with our next topic, folks. We're going to be talking about turnoffs. Ooh, turnoffs. 
what turns you off, even though this is the University of Pleasure and we're all about pleasure, which is usually a turn on, now we're going to be talking about turnoffs when we come back. And we're back, folks. As promised, talking about something a little different here. Turnoffs. Here we go. This is the topic. Dun dun dun. So much lead in. <laughs> You're welcome. Gotta give them a little drama, Doc. Gotta give our folks a little drama, our listeners. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about your turnoffs. It's better to offend than avoid. And this is so true because you don't want to avoid turnoffs. Like, for instance, big turnoff for me. I'm just going to lay it out there. Please. Smelly bumholes. Smelly bumholes. I don't. Smelly. If they're smelly and you're in a moment and you're getting, you're getting, you're getting, getting ready to get to it, right? Sometimes people just aren't that clean. And that's a major turnoff to me. If I can smell that, it's going to be hard for me to overcome. You really just dove right in with like a real, <laughs> <laughs> like just no, no waiting in the kiddie side of the pool. No, just man. This is university pleasure. Dive. This, these are, this is, in, this is the advanced class dive. now. It's a university. We're not in high school. You're not getting the you're not getting the watered down version. You're getting the real I, thing. I just want to say out loud that you just said this is a university while previously using the word bum hole. <laughs> listen, I just wanna note listen, I'm being that very real, Doc. This is something that turns me off. This is what this is. I can't help it. Yeah. That's like my yeah. numero uno right out of the gates. If it's if it's you know, some people like I try to make sure I'm very clean. I try to make sure I'm very clean. I don't want partners to smell bad things, right? Even if, you know, I want to make sure my, my penis doesn't smell bad. You know, it's like, I'm not going to, like, drop a number you two, then go height. for a run, and then come back and be like, let's jam. Because to me, that's a little gnarly. Now, there are people out there, and I'm not trying to say there aren't, that, that dig that. They dig it. Ooh, they dig that musky, weird, not-so-hot smell. I'm not into it. To them, it. it's hot, though. So That's right. To them, it's hot. And I totally respect that. I'm talking about mine as Jeremiah James's turnoff is smelly bumhole. Just a real quick sit down on the bidet, a little quick splash, a little bit clean. Like, I love that you think that a bidet is something just your average person has <laughs> hanging out in their house. Listen, I'm not going to go on a tangent, but they should because, listen, all those people that were hoarding toilet paper for COVID-19, like, you know what? You wouldn't have had to hoard so much toilet paper if you had a bidet. And if there's a bidet company out there that would like us at the University oh of Pleasure God. to <laughs> promote you, <Please. laughs> I personally will promote you because Jeremiah's biggest turnoff is smelly bumhole, and that is a big factor in cleaning. Right. Let's think about it. You're taking toilet paper, and you're just wiping things and smearing no. things all around. Right. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just Redirect, saying. Jeremiah. All Redirect. Right. All right. Let's get back to the topic. Turnoff. That's my turnoff. It's a big turnoff. I can't help it. It just is what it is. And I need, I, you know, I don't want my I partner to feel bad about it. That. Thank you. And I would tell a partner, you know, upfront about that. Like, that's a big thing for me. And I will try to say it in a way that is not like, hey, you're, you don't have a great smelling bumhole. Or like, you know. I just make it very clear up front. Like when I'm getting to know somebody in that way in a sexual manner, I would talk about it. Like, 
You know, you, you, could, things, you could obviously you know. say it in a much more. I probably wouldn't lead with bumhole. No, right. No. But in a, like, hey, just want to let you know that hygiene is something that's really important to me. So it's really no. important when I'm being sexual with someone that I feel like they're practicing good hygiene. Well, I don't say it that way because then it's too ambiguous because some people might think they have great hygiene and then we get in there and they could be smelling bumhole. So I'm very clear. Like I talk about me. I, I say things like, you know, yeah, hygiene's a really big thing to me. Like one big thing that's really important to me is like not smelling bad. So like I take showers before or like try to really wash out, you know, because of going to the bathroom or that sort of thing. You know, like nobody likes to smell bad, right? Like I try to find a way to make it about me and not about them to let them know that's a big turnoff to me. How's that? Does that work? Yes. Jesus. <laughs> I wish, you know, eventually these will all be filmed and we will put it out there and you'll be able to see the doc's true <laughs> life reaction of me speaking and with the utter just look of, oh, my God, how did I end up in this situation? <laughs> this guy. That Woof. is only 50% true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's me. Stingy bum holes. Yeah. Get a bidet. Moving on to a more broad part of this topic, Doc. It's good to talk about it ahead of time and not to avoid it. Explain. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think the reason I bring this up is that this is a big barrier for people talking to someone about something that they are not enjoying sexually. I mean, you're talking about like when you have the capacity to have some forethought or some planning around around it, which is great, right? Like um, you and I might choose different language around it. Right. But I do think that it's great <laughs> to like go in, you know, if you know that there are certain things right off the bat that are going to be turnoffs to you to try to, you know, communicate those as best as you can to help your partner out. Right. So they're not inadvertently stepping into a scenario in which, you know, you're not having a very satisfying experience and they're feeling bad because of it. But I think I'm talking a little bit, which is great, but I think another angle that I'd be talking about it from is when you don't have sort of that gift of being able to predict that something's going to happen that's going to turn you off, right? But all of a sudden, something came up in a sexual dynamic or continues to come up and it is turning you off. Like, and that could be a variety of different things, right? That could be hygiene. Frankly, hygiene is a very popular one, by the way. Thank you. Um, also, people tend to practice more thorough hygiene at the beginning of a relationship. Yeah, and sometimes it can drop off. And sometimes less, right? We talked in the previous episode, right, yep. about all of our – sometimes in new relationships, we behave in different behaviors that we then don't sustain as well or in the same degree that we would. Um, so hygiene is a big one. Another one might just straight up be that somebody's doing something in a way that you don't like, right? Like so, for instance, lots of people will talk about like my my partner performs – I don't know, oral sex in a way that is just not enjoyable for me, right? And a lot of times when I ask people, well, have you talked to your partner about it? They'll say, no. <laughs> and, and, and I will say, why not? And the most common answer is, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Of course, right? of course. I don't want to offend them. Right. And the fear of offending others, especially someone that you love and care about, right? And frankly, sometimes it's maybe even just someone that you have affection for. I'm not saying you even need to be in a committed relationship with a person. Nope. Just feels really scary, right? Because most people are, you know, at their core, pretty kind people and don't want to offend other people. But sometimes what's also at the root of that issue is a fear that offending someone might lead to conflict. So I think sometimes I think it's not either or I think it's both and right. Sometimes it's about I don't want to offend someone because I don't want to hurt their feelings because then I would feel sad that their feelings were hurt and I just care about them so much. 
And sometimes another piece of that is, and I kind of want to not get in a fight. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, that's the thing. Because Listen, as we've said here before, and I'm sure you would agree with me on this, it's a hard thing to talk about. It's a hard thing. You don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And it's difficult to then tell somebody who, you know, what? let's talk your scenario. You know, I don't like the way the guy is going down on me, right? But that guy might think he's a king at it, right? And then if you were to say that, well, that could, well, what if that, I mean, that could really hurt his feelings and he could be really upset and then we might have a fight, you know? But this is where I think this topic is so important because if you say it ahead of time, if you're like, hey, you know, I'm really communicative and I might tell you I like something a certain way. And if you can just kind of say that out loud, kind of set the stage, you know what I mean? Set the scene, as it were. Be like, yeah, I'm really communicative. So, you know, I like to really tell my partner how I like things done. And I know maybe you know, if we go down that road together, obviously, you know, it doesn't always get easy to say like that either. But whatever might work for you. But in the beginning of the relationship, I think it's better to start at the top. And so right. you don't run into problems later. So, you know, you haven't well, for like six months been sleeping with somebody. Then you're like, dude, just the way you go down to me, I just don't like it. Like, and I want to talk right. to you about it. I'd be like, well, I've been doing it that way for six months. Like, you know, like, Yeah. It's better to say something when you start noticing that you don't like it than to let it go really far. Yeah. And I have absolutely had people. And of course, like if you have like if you're listening now and you're just dating, great. Use this feedback. Right. But if you're sitting there and you're going. Um, well, I have been faking orgasm with my partner for the last decade, which I promise you there are people out there that absolutely have been doing that. That's brutal. Right. Um, then you're in sort of a different, uh, a different level of the pool here. Right. 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 And so it's, yeah, when you can prevent stuff or intervene really early, great. But also sometimes the further along things go, the more then it kind of builds on itself, right? Like I've had many countless conversations in my office of like, well, how long has this been something that's really been turning you off? And oftentimes the answer is years, oh, right? Um, same, same around um, orgasm, right? Maybe somebody faking orgasm. It might be years. And so then it's like, well, I can't tell them now. And so then people are sort of trapped in this circumstance where they're like, because now it is going to create a conflict, right? Because they're going to be real mad at me. Like, I, you know, I can think of some ones around like hygiene that were some really simple sort of scenarios in which I remember someone, this has come up a multiple times where somebody's partner maybe like sweat a lot. Mm-hmm. And that was actually a turn off. So they were avoiding sex with their partner around sweating. And um, this has actually happened more than once. So this isn't just one person, but like where then eventually got them to talk to their partner about it. And their partner was like, yeah, like my feelings are a little hurt that you like are disgusted by me being sweaty, but more hurt that you would rather avoid talking to me about that. And like, now we have this giant rift in our sexual relationship when all I needed to do was like put on a shirt or turn on an extra fan. Yeah. Yeah. Ramp up the AC. Right. And so and, and again, I, I'm not trying to be um, like overly critical. It is hard to tell someone you care about or even just hard to like tell someone that what they're you doing might be just sleeping with. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's hard. It's a difficult thing to do. And frankly, again, we do not 
we do not give people any training on this. Like we don't help people. We don't help people learn. Like some people grow up in great homes where they get really good sexual education and they have a lot of practice communicating about sex and they have good models and they have good examples. But that is more the exception than the rule. Agreed. A lot of people have no practice at this and you can't be good at things you haven't practiced. Right. And so these are really difficult skills. So I want to be like empathic to the fact that this stuff is hard. But at the same time, I'm also going to say, but you got to do it yeah. <laughs> because yeah, you do. if you don't talk to people about the stuff that you don't like, right, they're going to create their own. We've talked about this before. In the absence of information, someone's going to start to create their own story, right? And maybe that story is like, let's say that somebody is, I don't know, um, fingering you, right? Or, you know, engaging with you in some type of sexual way, whatever, performing oral in a way and you're pretending to like it. And in fact, you're actively turned off by the way that they're doing it. Like, and, and they're telling themselves a story of like, you're loving it. Right. And you have this totally different story. Or let's say you're avoiding sex with them because you don't like something that they do, or it's causing you over time to be less sexual to them. Or they're thinking that you love oral, but now all of a sudden, as the years go on, you're just avoiding it. Now they start to create their own narrative, right? And sometimes the stories that we create in our minds are far worse than the reality, right? And it can be really humiliating for somebody when they find out that maybe you've been keeping a secret for a really long time. And sometimes these uh, these secrets come out or people finally disclose this information more because um, like, like they, they end up having the conflict starts to get so big that they just blurt it out. Right. Yep. yep. And just comes <laughs> and out in a, in a very inopportune moment. Like, often. Yeah. A very reactive way. Like someone's like pushing on them and pushing on them. And finally they're like, well, it's because of this. And so then they end up like they end up disclosing it. But sometimes it might be in a really harsh way or in a way that's definitely not as compassionate or it's a little bit more extreme than they want it to be. And so really it's about like finding ways to kind of be, you know, you can be afraid. We talk about like, be afraid, do it anyway, right? That's bravery. Bravery is being afraid and doing it anyway, right? Right. right. Being brave enough to tell a partner like, hey, here's some stuff that I really would like really isn't for me. And then I often like try to tell people like that if you can, then give people some alternatives, right? Rather than telling people just what you don't like, talk to them about what you do like, right? Yes, yes. When we've talked about this all before, you know, and and that's why I think it's so important that, you know, we kind of continue to hammer at home, you know, you know, just saying something negative, like that does not turn me, this this is a total turnoff for me. And not giving the (laughs) other part of the story, which is this is what would turn me on, you know, you're you're doing yourself a disservice. So, you know, I would say... Lay the groundwork ahead of time at the beginning of a relationship. If you're just starting a relationship, listeners out there, lay the groundwork ahead of time. Be communicative in the very beginning. Talk about it. Say, hey, I'd like to communicate about these things. I might tell you I like this. I might like that. You know, and and so when that happens, you can go, hey, remember, we've talked about this. I've told you how I like to communicate. And this is something that doesn't really turn me on. But this is something that really does turn me on. And it really gets my juices flowing. I would say, and you tell me what you think. And I think you've already mentioned this in past episodes. That this is one of those things that like, you know, most people, most partners are going to want to do the thing that really turned you on. Yeah. Most people are going to be like, oh, well, I was only doing that thing because I thought you liked it or because I didn't have any other sort of guidance in terms of what you might like. That's right. right. That's right. And so offering people more guidance is really important, which is why we always say, like, you got to practice the communication piece of this. Right. Like 
Um, and the other thing that I think, you know, because I know we're going to wrap up here in a second, but the other thing that I think is really important is remembering that, like, it's not possible, particularly in long-term relationships, to always avoid hurt and pain, right? Like I've said before, like, sometimes hurt and pain is part of the business of loving somebody. You can get through that. You can work through that, right? And you're going to create bigger hurts, bigger pains over the long term, often through avoidance, right? What what often most people would trade acute pain, right? Like a slap in the face for low grade, but ongoing chronic pain Agreed. throughout a relationship, right? And not a literal slap in the face, but we're, we're with you. Yeah. Yeah. Like an emotional slap in the Correct. face, right? Like, but most people would rather have that quick sting, right? Or that quick slap of like, Ooh, ouch, that kind of hurt my feelings. Cause that's much more easy to move through than like, ongoing chronic pain around what's going on with my partner, I can sense that they're not liking something or maybe they're starting to pull away and I have no idea why. That's going to create much more, I would say, like agony over time in relationships. And I have often seen that play out. And so really it's this kind of ongoing, you know, uh, mission that we have here to get you all to talk to each other, even about the hard stuff. Communication on the hard stuff. Right. Right, the hard stuff, because the reality is, is that, most people in the end will appreciate that dialogue because most people, you know, will appreciate, um, honesty. You know, it goes back to our first topic about building trust. Like these are the things that build trust, right? Being able to trust that your partner is sort of brave enough to be like, okay, this isn't something that's for me, but here is. And trusting that they'll tell you if they don't like something. Exactly. And then from there, you can tell them what you do like, and it's nothing but an upswing. That's the best part about it. Because, listen, if I tell you you got a stinky bum hole oh, ahead of time, and then you go and you get yourself a bidet and you keep it clean and everything's better, and then you can tell, I'll tell you something that does turn me on is X, Y, or Z. I mean, we're living, right? Right, Doug? See how I brought that all full circle? I, mean, I didn't need that. I don't think that that part needed to come full circle, but yes, I do. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I feel like you really emphasized your point earlier. I'm just trying to make it very clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More than anything. <laughs> Just the idea that like usually it's worth the risk. Usually being honest with people about what you actually do like, what you actually do want is worth the risk. It builds trust, it leads to better sexual experiences, higher sexual satisfaction. More often than not, it's worth the risk. Because part of having a good relationship, including a good sexual relationship, is the capacity to handle difficult conversations. And you can't build that skill if you're not having them. So you heard it there, folks, from the doc. Better to have communication. Tell people what you don't like your turn-offs. So you can tell them your turn-ons and you build trust, which we were talking about earlier in this episode. Trust, trust, trust. Building that trust. And how do you do that? You have communication, which we're all about at the University of Pleasure. Yeah. See, I just wrote that right now. I mean, just this second. I wrote that song. I can tell. I can absolutely (laughs) tell. Listen, I just want you always to remember the level of my talent. I don't ever forget it, Jeremiah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as she said, I'm Jeremiah James, and I'm just a guy who likes talking about sex. And I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. I'm so glad there wasn't a bird to distract you this time and uh, <laughs> that you remembered to say your name. So, <laughs> Or that I had one. <laughs> that you even had a name. <laughs> we will be talking to everybody again soon. 
And as I always say, Zoom meeting next Monday. We hope you have a wonderful week. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy. Don't forget to check out the University of Pleasure publishing arm and the new book, Amy. If you put in your email address, you'll get a download code to, uh, to download the book for free for a limited time. For all of the folks out there that are struggling, the book is a lot of fun, and we hope you find joy in it, even in difficult times. As the doc always says, you should find some pleasure. There you go. And that's from a doc. So have a wonderful week, everybody, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. This episode of the University of Pleasure was produced, directed, and edited by me, Jeremiah James. It was written by Dr. Tara Jansen and me, Jeremiah James. The University of Pleasure theme music was written by the incomparable Robert Felstein. And please remember, we want to be as inclusive as possible of the diverse experiences of others here at the University of Pleasure. So please email us your suggestions for topics that might be suited to you directly, questions, feedback, or just really great sex stories at contact at universityofpleasure.com. <laughs>